this uh, doctor, he could uh, absolutely see straight through me and uh, said, you know, it's pointless you coming here unless you're going to tell me the truth. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and we're continuing a month of stories from artists that performed at 2023's Cruel World Festival. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Mick Conroy from the beloved band Modern English onto the show. They have a bona fide classic with I Melt With You and eight albums under their belt, including the one-two punch of their debut album, Mesh and Lace, and its follow-up, After the Snow. Today, Mick tells us his story of getting sober 15 years ago and reforming modern English with its original members after a long hiatus. Know, the most uh, pivotal thing in my life was um, uh, 15 years ago, just a few, um, it was my anniversary was when I stopped drinking. And uh, then uh, my entire life did change. I mean, you could say that was pivotal. I mean, it's like, you know, they, the old joke is that when your doctor thinks that you drink too much, you've got a serious problem if you drink more than your doctor does. <laughs> Before we go too far down that road, though, let's go back to Mick's early days with modern English. You know, when we um, uh, modern English started, we were, um, you know, we, you know, we didn't have any money whatsoever. We um, signed to four AD, and then we moved to, you know, from Colchester, we moved to London, and uh, we were just living in squats, you know, like in Notting Hill Gate in Lambert Grove, where, um, you know, in those days it it was nothing like the neighbourhood it is now. It was, um, you know, full of uh, uh, houses being rebuilt and. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, building work going on. So there are a lot of vacant, semi-derelict buildings. Uh, you know, there was uh, one, uh, and, and also it was a very temporary kind of a, a lifestyle because, you know, you'd get evicted from the, the house you were living in after about three months. And, uh, you know, one or two occasions we lived in houses that didn't even have uh, hot running water. <laughs> so we'd have to go to the swimming pool, you know, to um, have showers and all that stuff. You know, we, we kind of grew to get, we grew up together as well. You know, we all lived in the same house as each other. And even up until the third album, we, all, we were still sharing, we were like the monkeys. You know, we still lived in the same house in London. So, you know, we um, all knew each other inside and out. And um, it was things that kind of, um, you know, when uh, Modern English started to have some kind of success in America, so, you know, it was, a, it was a different world for us. You know, we were kind of offered so much and, um, you know, it was every night there was, um, you know, we played a concert and there was a rider backstage and, uh, you know, temptations were um, uh, laid out there in front of us. Modern English were one of the first bands to be signed to England's famed 4AD Records. 
Yeah, yeah. We um, it was um, Ivo and Peter Kent. They signed up uh, Rima Rima, who um, did that amazing song EP Wheel in the Roses. But they split up before the record came out, and then they uh, signed up Bauhaus, and then us. So it was they only initially they only had two bands. It was us and Bauhaus. Ivo and Peter Kent. They had um. They must have had really uh, bizarre tastes in music because they saw things that uh, in the in the bands that they signed that um, you know that they 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 nurtured all of the groups. You know, it's like you know in this day and age, if you um, or not even this day and age, but not so long ago, you know, if your first album was a you know didn't really you know was didn't really do very well there'd be um, questions would be asked, you know. Whereas at 4AD, it was, you were allowed to just carry on and develop in whichever way you wanted to. And uh, Peter left to start Situation 2 with the Associates and uh, Gene Loves Jezebel, various other bands. But, um, you know, uh, Ivo, he, he let people do what they want, really. You know, as long as he kind of liked what we were doing, he was um, happy. Originally, I was in modern English, and then I stopped being in modern English for in about 1993. And I joined, um, not on a permanent basis, but I played with um, Moose, who was uh, Mickey's uh, partner. And so I played, <clears throat> I um, was a bass player and ended up being a keyboard player for Moose as well and did, um, you know, a couple of tours, with, a few tours with them over the years and uh, played on, I think, three of their four albums. And then, and I was also um, the keyboard player in Stereo Lab when they first started playing live. And um, but you know, I guess I, I you know, it was it was good fun being in these bands, but uh, purely because I didn't have to um, really contribute too much in the songwriting department. You know, I was just um, you know doing um, studio work and playing live, and uh, it was uh, almost a bit like a Roman holiday <laughs> for me. And uh, then you know I I wasn't a member of Modern English and um, then I kind uh, you know as I was only a temporary member of the other bands I ended up finding myself I had a lot more time on my hands and uh, you know to kind of write do what I you know my own thing and um, basically I um, stopped pretty much completely playing music or um, you know I was just you know turned into a um, you know a non I guess a non-functioning alcoholic and a non-functioning musician at the same time. I just stopped playing music, basically. You know, um, I um, didn't didn't play, you know, any of my own stuff. I didn't write anything. I didn't play with any other bands, and I just, um, you know, was just kind of aimless for a decade or so, and just, you know, be almost became a recluse as well almost like a hermit but in his own home you know but um 
you know, eventually it was having a ter- you know an awful toll on my um, health, you know, my um, well-being as well. <clears throat> and um, I um, went to uh, see my doctor, and which is you know just a typical thing. You know, the last thing you want to do is see a doctor because they um, ask you too many questions, like how much do you smoke, how much do you drink, and. Um, this uh, doctor, he could uh, absolutely see straight through me and uh, said, you know, it's pointless you coming here unless you're going to tell me the truth. And uh, to cut a long story short, I um, ended up uh, going to AA strictly on um, his uh, insistence, saying, you know, he's seen uh, several patients like me and he always says the same thing to them. And um, that was in um, 2008. And I, um, there's a couple of things that were quite pivotal about all of that. So I, I started going to AA. I mean, I don't want to make this sound like a great big AA share, but um, I started going to AA and um, instantly I got it. You know, it was a, a, a real a revelation. It was like, wow, there's um, so many other people who have exactly the same story as me. And, you know, they're in different uh, you know, walks of life. Obviously, it's uh, you know the all all manner of people. For uh, the first year, this was in London, in uh, Wimbledon, and I, I went to meetings all over London, which was um, uh, you know very uh, good for me. And then um, after a year, I went to visit a friend of mine in Suffolk, which is uh, close to where modern English um, originated from, Colchester. It was about. 30 miles from Colchester, whereas I used to go to a boarding school in Suffolk. So I had some friends there. And um, so I've been sober for a year and uh, realised that how, you know, how nice this place Suffolk was. And uh, this is where it gets a bit crazy. I saw a boat for sale and um, a, a houseboat. And um, uh, basically, uh, that instant I um, uh, moved and uh, lived on a houseboat in Suffolk and didn't live in England, in London anymore. I um, carried on. This is in a lovely small town called Woodbridge and the boat was called Mudlark, which I thought was, uh, you know, quite a a cool name for a boat. And um, Robbie, who who I hadn't seen, Robbie, the singer from Modern English, I hadn't seen or spoken to him for about, eight years and he also he lives in thailand for um half of the year but a place called albra for you know the other half part of the year he kind of flits between the two and um i um sent rob an email with a picture of my boat which must have been a bit of a shock to him i said um well uh almost neighbors uh the town that he lives in is about 15 miles away from where i am uh, bought this boat and uh, so um you know bobby was he he knew that i'd um some serious issues in my own personal life and uh that obviously um the fact that i was reaching out to him meant that um i'd uh, uh, most likely stop drinking as well period of uh you know robbie came back 
from Thailand and a great old friend of ours, Russell, the singer from Moose, the band that me and Moose used to play with. He um he was he came to visit quite a lot and uh, he was a really old friend of Robbie's as well. And he was you know, he was very curious as to what we were going to do next. You know, there'd been like a fifteen year gap between me being in modern English. Robbie had continued as modern English but with a completely different set of musicians. And um then, you know, it, it it was kind of, it seemed like a, a natural thing. Me and Robbie said, um, let's um, you know, reform the modern English with as many of the original members as as we possibly can. Which sounded like a you know, to us in this lovely little town in Suffolk sounded like quite a good idea. Uh so then we had to um contact Steve Walker, the original keyboard player who I was still acquainted with. And he, for him, it was completely out of the blue as well. He was um, in a, a gardener and uh, he has a, a shop on Discogs. He's all, you know, always been into buying and selling records. So he, he was kind of like interested. But then the difficult thing was uh, trying to get hold of Gary McDowell, the guitarist who had also been living in Thailand, but he'd been there for about, 20 years and um, Robbie somehow managed to get a phone number of someone that might know him in Thailand but Robbie was saying you know it, it was my idea so I should um, contact Gary and so the first time I rang it sounded like I was got through to a, a kind of nail salon a nail you know where you go to ladies go to pedicures and manicures and I thought this is really odd. So it was all in Thai, the voice machine. So I answered the, you know, I left a message and then um, said I was going to ring back. And then I rang back, and Gary seemed to own a a, a nail bar in Thailand. And I thought, okay. And uh, he was flabbergasted to hear from from me. And I said that. Um, we are, uh, but, uh, first of all, like, you know, with, with all of these conversations I was having with these people at the time, it was, uh, you know, I began the sentence with, um, oh, by the way, I've stopped drinking. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, okay. And um, so eventually we um, got Gary to agree to um, come back to England. So me, Robbie, uh, we couldn't get Richard Brown, the original drummer. We, um, you know, we, went to meet him as well but he um said that he he has no interest in um uh, joining a band and uh playing concerts and uh going you know you know going on tour or anything but so it was me robbie gary and this other guy uh, steve walker on keyboards and another guy who was in another uh robbie version of modern english steve walker who um uh, Small World used to play with uh, Justin from Piroshka and when Josh, Justin was in a band and then Spitfire and then he went off and joined Elastica but Steve Walker, the guitar player, was in Spitfire and so we, through uh, Friends of Friends, uh, acquired a drummer called Rick Chandler. Basically, we didn't really know what we wanted to do but we... Um, came back to together to rehearse in Suffolk and uh, 
the first thing that we played was a track off the After the Snow album, Dawn Chorus. this part where um, the two guitar there was always two guitar parts Gary just overdubbed it and uh, when Gary came in that was the first thing that he actually played and it was instantly everyone in the room was a bit like it's an old cliche you know how um, people haven't played music together for so long and they straight away they remember how it felt when they were 21 <laughs> or 20 you know, when they were writing and playing these songs together, you know, like 37 odd years, well, 20 odd years ago. That was when we thought, okay, we're um, uh, going to, um, we're, we are now modern English again after um, a, an extremely long uh, period of not even, um, you know, talking to each other. So that was something that, um, you know, I could uh, completely put down to, um, that moment when I um, went to my first AA meeting, you know, I um, didn't really expect uh, that to happen so quickly. Uh, people always say in AA, don't do anything uh, crazy for a year, just go to meetings. So as soon as my first year was, you know, being sober for a year, I moved, but lived on a boat, which was quite a change. And then, um, you know, within about another nine months, I'd. Um, uh, you know, reformed my old uh, band. With the band healthy and back together, they proceeded to tour the States again and found they still had quite the fan base. In 2016, they recorded an album of new music titled Take Me to the Trees and toured celebrating the 35th anniversary of their debut record, Mesh and Lace. It's impossible to talk about this band without talking about the massive hit that is I Melt With You. With um, uh, Mesh and Lace, Ivo actually came with us to the studio. We were, it was a residential studio. We were there for two weeks, one week recording and one week mixing. And so everything we did, Ivo was in the room with us. He kind of acted as, um, you know, like a kind of a producer in a way. I mean, I, it was it was really nice having Ivo there. He, um, you know, he he would say some things like that bit's um, too long or it doesn't sound like it works. Whereas on um, the second album, we um, had uh, uh, Hugh Jones, the producer who was still quite young, he was only about 26 years old, but he'd done Heaven Up Here by the Bunny Men, Echo and the Bunny Men, and um, worked on loads of Simple Minds albums. Uh, and he he was, you know, just a, a really um, nice nice person, nice guy. And he, we got on with him the first time we met, but he had uh, uh, quite different ideas about how, um, uh, you know, we should uh, structure our songs, and um, we we did a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, what's called pre-production. This is like rehearsals where you um, uh, deconstruct everything that you've made and then put it back together again. But, you know, sometimes it could be, um, you know, it's like a, a, 
some of the a verse for one song might end up being a chorus in a different song completely, which um, for us at first was a bit of a, you know, interesting uh, approach. But then uh, anyway, we went to this place called Rockfield in Wales, where we were completely left on our own with uh, Hugh Jones. And, um, you know, Ivo had no idea what we were doing there whatsoever. He might have heard one or two of the demos that we'd done in pre-production, but I don't remember him commenting on anything. But um, I, uh, when we got back, I took the um, cassette tape of uh, what we'd made in uh, uh, Wales to uh, Ivo and played it to him, and he was definitely a bit shocked by it all. And uh, he... Um, uh, in particular, I melt with you. I mean, uh, you know, before we went into the studio, we were like this noisy, uh, doomy, gloomy type band with, you know, punk rock tendencies, you know. And um, Ivo, I, I do, he definitely said that, um, you know, it's almost like, my God, you turned into the birds. <laughs> you know, the, uh, you because know, there's 12 string, string guitars and... Um, the flutes and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, I, I don't even know if Ivo will, will remember this, but then we, me and Ivo got in his car and we listened to it driving around and we went to see um, the modern English agent and played it to him and he instantly said, I love it, I think it's great. And uh, I think Ivo was a tiny bit relieved because, you know, it cost, it cost quite a lot of money to make albums and, uh, you know, Ivo didn't, you know, 4AD didn't have much money and, um, uh, you know, I think Ivo, you know, he learned to um, learn to appreciate it, you know, quite quickly. You know, it was definitely different from uh, anything else that we'd done. I mean, I Melt With You was, um, you know, when I first played that to Hugh Jones as a kind of vague idea, but we all thought it was um, uh, too poppy. And uh, Hugh said, uh, you know, you know, you must be out of your mind, you know, it sounds good and, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with pop music. You know, we all love pop music, you know. Uh, we were we, we were shocked and, you know, we were surprised at the reaction that it got in America because, you know, it had already been released as a single in the UK and it didn't really do anything. So, we, you know, at first we thought, oh, okay, well, that didn't happen. And then in America, it, um, you know, became... Um, you know, it was on MTV and college radio and stuff like that. But, you know, now it's um, uh, much more famous than the band. You know, people know I melt with you. And there's a really good chance that they haven't got a clue who modern English are. You know, it's, um, the song has gone off and done its own thing. It's, um, you know, used in um, countless TV shows and, uh, you know, films and uh, adverts, you know, commercials on television as well it's just kind of like it's um you know ingrained itself into uh, the american um, psyche of um you know music in a way you know people know it that song but they don't know um who's who who um, sang it or who played it Thank you, Mick, for taking the time to share your story. I also want to thank the band Jupe Jupe for creating our theme song. You can find out more about their music at jupejupemusic.com. 
And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. Modern English is a great spread in the 80s book. And if you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more stories in the coming weeks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.